Welcome to the Jabadoo Education Podcast, episode 33. We actually want to instill, instill that positive stress, and we want to help contribute to that as educators because that's what builds resilience. It's when we get to that toxic stress and chronic stress that we have problems because our activation, so our nervous system is then activated all the time. You're listening to the Jabadoo Education Podcast. I'm your host, John Ruths, and I'm going to introduce you to some of the leading professionals in the fields of education, psychology, and leadership to bring you the most relevant and up-to-date tips, tricks, and tools for you to use in your classroom. Welcome to Jabadoo. Hey, what's going on, teachers and educators, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Jabadoo Education Podcast. And I am actually really excited for you to listen to this episode. Um, it was a great conversation I had with Dr. Colleen Lely, and she actually came and presented at my school district uh, back at the beginning of the 1920 school year. Not like the year 1920, I meant 2019, 2020. Okay, just in case you weren't clear, I was not a teacher in 1920. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, she came and she gave this really great presentation on trauma-informed care and creating a trauma trauma sensitive classroom. And when I heard the title, I was like, oh my goodness, like, you know, we, I work in a pretty decent school district. Like none of my kids really have gone, like, it's not a tough neighborhood. It's not a tough district. Um, why, why are we getting this training? And when she walked us through like actually what trauma is and, and the definition that's used, um, I was surprised to find out that a number of my students actually experience some form of trauma. And uh, our conversation today goes through a couple different things. We actually start out with um, the definition of trauma. Where does trauma come from? Uh, and how is it linked to stress? So we talk about uh, there is good and bad stress, which you know I'm sure some of you have heard that before. Uh, so we talk about the difference between those two. We talk about the difference between acute and chronic stress. So acute being like a really really stressful situation for a short amount of time versus prolonged or more chronic stress and how that plays into trauma. And then we we also talk about uh, what an ACE is. So an ACE is um, a adverse childhood experience. So ACE, adverse childhood experience. And this was another one when she listed some of these ones that um, factor into the the level of trauma that students experience. I was surprised that you know, there's a number of them in there that, you know, uh, a number of my students probably have experienced this form of trauma. Um, so we cover that. And then we also uh, talk about, you know, how are some ways that we can create this trauma-informed classroom environment so that we are, uh, again, it's it's all about adding those tools to our tool, tool belt, as we say. Uh, and this is just another way, hopefully, to get some information that allows you to add a tool to your tool belt so that uh, when you come in contact with a student who has experienced trauma, you are better equipped to uh, serve their needs. So um, it's been a, it was a great episode. I can't wait for you to listen to it. Before I let you go listen to Dr. Colleen Lely, just want to remind you a couple things. First is we have a email newsletter that I send out. So uh, if you want to stay up to date right now on just the next episode that's coming out or any of the future uh online or in-person events that we end up doing with Jabadoo, uh, I would love for you to hop on that newsletter. So you can uh, find that at jabadoo.com or if you go to our show notes page, I should have started with that. Go to the show notes page for this episode, which is jabadoo.com slash show 33. So J-A-B-B-E-D-U.com slash show with the number 33. And there you will find that link to sign up for the newsletter as well as anything else that we talk about on this episode, including... Uh, we would love for you to connect with us on social media. So Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm trying my best to stay up with Instagram. It's not my thing, but I'm doing it. So there's a couple of posts there. All of those you can find us uh, at Jabadoo. So facebook.com slash Jabadoo, twitter.com slash Jabadoo, instagram.com slash Jabadoo. And then last but not least, uh, if you want to support this podcast in any way, uh, I'll give you two ways that you can. <laughs> First one is we have a Jabadoo original teacher tees. Uh, these are some really cool, really high quality t-shirts that... Uh, we're putting out that uh, custom design that allow you to share, uh, share and show off your teacher pride. So check out the link for those again on the show notes page or any of the books that are mentioned in this episode or any other episode. We've got affiliate links to those books. So if you go and you purchase uh, any of those books, if you hear one and you say, oh, you know what? I probably could read that. 
go buy it through our affiliate link and we'll get a kickback for that. So those are two ways that you can support us there. And I think that does it for me. So I am excited for you to listen to this. Let's bring in Dr. Colleen Lely. All right. On today's episode of the Jabadoo Education Podcast, I am sitting down with Dr. Colleen Lely, who is now a full professor out at uh, Cabrini University, which is uh, around my area here in the Philadelphia area. Um, so uh, I got linked up with uh, with you. Actually, you were one of the first people that I reached out to about this podcast because you came and you did a uh uh, professional development for our entire district. And uh, it was just really impactful for me. And, you know, that's why you were one of the first people that I reached out to. But, you know, things happen. Life gets in the way every once in a while. And uh, here you are. It's episode 33 now. We finally got you back on. That's amazing. I uh, circled back to you. Yeah. Congratulations. Cool. That's Thank you. incredible. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, full professor, you have a new book uh, that's just be recently been published, uh, Trauma-Sensitive Schools, The Importance of Instilling Grit, Determination, and Resilience. Uh, and that is what we are going to talk about today. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super happy to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So every episode, I like to start out from the beginning, which for us and for the purpose of this is you, your beginning. <laughs> so what was your experience? Where did you grow up? Uh, what was your schooling experience? Maybe a memory or two that really sticks out. Oh, uh, right. And yeah, big, really hard questions there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, what led you down the path that you took? Sure. Um, well, honestly, I grew up in, uh, it's called Norristown, Pennsylvania. It's right Norristown. outside of Philadelphia. Yeah. I'm homegrown. I've stayed in Pennsylvania just my whole life. Um, but I grew up in uh, Norristown School District in public school. Uh, Norristown School District was very unique um, in the 80s. We um, were very diverse even then. Um, and so, um, you know, it, we were actually featured on the news for our back then we had a, a UN United Nations Day because we've had so many different uh, diverse communities. Uh, students, teachers, we were, we were diverse. Um, not to say that, you know, we didn't have uh, some of the lived experiences that many people are faced with today, but uh, regardless. Um, and so I don't have a lot. I, I liked my school. I loved going to school, but there's one moment that kind of stuck out for me that kind of, while I've been doing this work, it made me think about it. Um, I had come in from after a weekend, like all of us, and we were in, I think, music class. And the teacher just said, how was your weekend? What did you guys do? And I always wanted to share. So I raised my hand and I said, um, well, on Saturday, I went to see my uncle in jail. And then on Sunday, we watched Eagles football because we did that every Sunday. And the teacher at the time said, now, Colleen, stop telling stories. And I was young and eight, maybe, and I... I thinking, I don't understand what she means telling stories. And then she later called my mom to tell my mom that I was making stuff up. And this is what I said. And uh, my mom talked to me about it later. And here my uncle was in jail. And so my mom would drive my grandmother to visit. And so, um, you know, and I don't, again, I don't blame the teacher. I mean, she didn't know. Um, and, but I guess as I've been doing this work and I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute, it, it just made me think like, that's one of the reasons I'm doing this work to educate others, right? Can't hurt. Um, so, um, because I do, she, again, no ill will at all. It's just that she didn't, you know, think, and I think it, it does bring up a lot of conversations about, you know, like, okay, so I look one way and you assume one thing. And so- you know, there's there's conversations too. Of course, of course, we could have. But then um, I went on to Cabrini University, actually, where I'm teaching now, and received my undergrad degree, and um, then subsequently got my master's in reading education, and then later on my doctoral. But um, in between all there, I was working as a secondary um, high school teacher, uh, special ed high school teacher, uh, at Pottsgrove High School which is again, outside Philadelphia, a little bit further up out in the county from, from where I live now. But, um, you know, and again, when I started teaching, I would come across these problems that I didn't learn how to solve in my pre-service education program. Um, you know, uh, my first year, I, I, I joke that my first year, I think I had every societal issue that could be thrown at me. I had, <laughs> 
child abuse. I had a child who I had a, a teen pregnancy. Um, I did not have a suicide my first year. I did have one later, a mm. uh, car accident of a student, you know, so I, I feel like a, a student who had cancer, I feel like I had everything and I, I didn't know how to deal with these traumas. So the guidance counselor, the counselor, social worker, nurse, um, my mentors, they became my best friends because I was trying to figure this all out. And I knew that how are my students learning when they're going through all these traumatic events? Yeah. And so, um, so that kind of stuck out. And then fast forward a little bit longer mm-hmm. later, I get to Cabrini and I'm in a meeting and in the meeting, there's these funders and they want to fund money to um, Cabrini, but they want to know everyone's going around the table from your area. What, how would you spend the money? And so they came to me and I said, well, and it was about domestic violence. And I said, well, I have to tell you. And I kind of said what I just said. I, I, when I was teaching, they, there was all these issues and you know, dating violence was definitely one of them. And um, we need to train our educators. They're on the front lines. You know, yeah. they see these students every day. And so that that kind of became my dissertation. I used, um, I'm in a reading program, but I used children's literature to teach others about, hmm. um, at the time, domestic violence and trauma. And so I really have done a lot of research in this area and really have been in, in, in knee deep in, in this area. Um, it's, it's hard work, um, but it's good work. Yeah. And so, um, I, I think that it's making a difference. I hope it's making a difference. It's <laughs> kind of what um, we all hope, right? <laughs> we, yeah, exactly. We that's, all hope that's that the we're... educator and in, in all of us, right? Exactly. That, exactly. You know, I, I think that's, I, I've said it before, but I think that's one of the reasons why many of us are pulled to education is because it is a very tangible way to make a difference in the world, right? You, you see it every single year and, and sometimes every single day. Um, Helping profession. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and but I mean, like you said, I think that you know you were you were pulled to this line of work partly because of your firsthand experiences, right? Right. You know, I've never had a family member who's been in prison or in jail. Um, and you know, going back to that teacher, you know, she, that was probably her her life vision was well, right. I don't have anybody in jail, right. so why would my students have anybody in jail, right? right. Or right. you know, right. Um, and you know, the, but like you said, like there's obviously depending on your school district, you're going to come in contact with so many different yeah. uh, aspects of this trauma that, uh, you know, we're going to dive into here. Um, yeah. And yeah, uh, arming, te- uh, arming may not be the best word, but I mean, preparing teachers That's with right. the correct tools. That's right. Right. You know, as you go through your, your career, you always grab another tool for the tool belt, oh, right? I love I the love, tools in the tool belt. I love the tools in the tool belt too. <laughs> <laughs> it's like my thing. Yes. Yeah, so. exactly. And exactly. And you're exactly right. And and so you just never know which tool is going to work on any given day. Right. And so mm-hmm. that's why we have to have all these strategies. Yeah. So um, let's dive into them then. So you, like I said, you came to my school, my school district, and you presented on uh, this concept of trauma informed teaching. So um, I think let's, let's go through a couple of things. Um, one, uh, we know trauma is a result of extended stress and there are, there are some good stresses and some bad stresses in our right. life. So um, let's, let's start there. Cause I actually took a class this past fall or excuse me, this past right. winter session on uh, teaching mindfulness. Uh, oh. and, and in that class, we talk a whole lot about stress and about yeah. the body's response to stress, right? Oh, yes. The idea that uh, if we, the, the freeze response, uh, I actually had an episode um, that I did by myself in the past here that I talked about this too. We have this freeze response that is from our reptilian ancestors. That's mm-hmm. the re- reptile response. Yes. We have fight and flight and is our mammalian response. Yes. That's how, how uh, that developed from mammals. And now they're, they're um, researching. This is, this is pretty recent. They're finding a new response in primates that mm-hmm. is tend and care. And that's this concept of, you know, the first thing that we do is, you know, women and children first, because that's, that's the tend and care response to a stress, yeah. stress environment. And that one's not talked a whole lot yet, because I think it's oh. still in research. Um, but that's I was fascinated when I heard that. Well, that's fascinating to me, because I think about how I react to situations. And when I'm put in situations, I kind of dive right in. And it's not until later that I think, you know, once the adrenaline's gone that I kind of, so I don't know if that's the same thing, but I wonder if it is. I think what it, what they were showing was that, you know, with, uh, I think it was with, um, gorillas is that when two gorilla tribes or whatever came up, the, the males would immediately go into fighting, but the females would 
collect even like one tribe's female with another tribe's females, they would get together and, and protect the children and tend and oh, care to the children yeah. while, the, while the males were doing their male, their male thing. Um, interesting. Right. So that they were experienced. So I would have to find, uh, you know, where that came from, but that's, that's, so that's a new primate response. Right. Yeah. Um, but uh, diving into this idea of positive yeah. and negative stress. Yes. Um, can you give some examples of both of those? Yeah. So I love the idea of positive stress. So when I, so interestingly, when I do these professional developments and I start talking about stress, I'm like, you know, I say to the teachers, I say, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say stress is bad because there is certain stress that's actually pretty good. And you, you want to teach your students that stress and that's positive stress. So that positive stress is kind of what pushes us forward. Right. And that helps us to keep going. Um, and so um, the examples I give is, you know, before a, a baseball game or a track meet or a test, even, you know, we start to get the butterflies in our stomach and get a little nervous. And that's actually a good thing. Right. So our adrenaline's going, um, you know, our adrenal glands talking. Mm -hmm. And and so that's a good thing. And so. Um, we actually want to instill, instill that positive stress and we want to help contribute to that as educators because that's what builds resilience. And mm -hmm. so it's that positive stress and we learn how to work through it and that's what builds that resilience. And then there's some other stress that's not so great. So um, there is um, tolerable stress and tolerable stress is actually an okay thing too. So that could be like the divorce, a divorce or the death of a loved one. Mm -hmm. And usually if we have someone around us or if we have others around us to support us during that time, we can get through it. Um, and so we, again, push through um, and, and we're able, it will pass um, that uncomfortable feeling, but it's a longer uncomfortable feeling than positive stress. It's when we get to that toxic stress and chronic stress that we have problems because our activation, so our nervous system is then activated all the time. So mm -hmm. an example that I sometimes give then is um, a child who's involved in domestic violence. So if they're at home watching this day in and day out, their system is being reactivated over and over again. And our, our system is meant to be adaptive, not maladaptive. And so when it's used over and over again, that's when it's maladaptive because it's not working the way it should. Mm -hmm. And it can become health um, prohibited, right? So it can cause long-term health problems. Um, it can cause other, um, our, our flight and freeze and uh, fight, flight and freeze can like be switched to like one side at all times and it doesn't know how to switch off. And gotcha. so when we have students in our classroom and they, you know, a loud noise and they're, they always seem to be on edge, it's because their system is now to the point where it's not working to benefit them. It's, it's working now at a disadvantage. Um, gotcha. And so I, there's a lot more involved in the brain and I love all that stuff, but that's, yeah, I do too. <laughs> yeah, I love that stuff, but that's it in like a nutshell. But then there's also another part that I try to explain is there's the upstairs brain and the downstairs brain. Right. And so we are, and that's not my work. That's um, Tina, uh, Tina Bryson. I think it is. I, I'm actually not saying the right names. I think. It's yeah, but it's, it's an ASED book and it's, uh, the mind of something I can look that up. Yeah. But we'll, we'll link in the show notes. Yeah. That's, that's a great book. And they talk about the upstairs and downstairs brain and how we want to be in the upstairs brain for learning. And our downstairs brain is our feelings brain. But if our feelings brain starts to take over our learning brain, hmm. so when we're upset or angry, then we really can't learn. And so it's a great way to explain it to kids because they under, you know, they then understand. Right. It. You can localize, yeah. you give the, yeah, you give yeah. The, uh, the visual. Yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, it's actually also a physical upstairs and downstairs too. Cause when you're looking at the cognition of the brain, that's all, you know, up in the right. frontal cortex on the front. have, yes. and everything is all back in the, mm -hmm. in the brainstem area. And mm -hmm. uh, the, um, that's exactly right. What's the other one that's back there? The, uh, I don't know, but the prefrontal cortex amygdala is that yeah, is that's the one that's back, back there. Yeah, that's okay. right here. And then the prefrontal cortex is like where all of your thoughts and feelings, and that's that's the the upstairs or the yeah. downstairs. I love how we, you and I are pointing to our heads and like we're localized. Yeah, people who like, are listening are like, they're like, yeah, what? What are they? What are 
yeah, yeah, here. Yeah, it's here. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, the the upstairs downstairs brain. Um, when when you presented that, that made a lot of sense to me. That's that's yeah. one of the things that clicked was like, yeah. you know, upstairs is is where we get to think and we get to learn yeah. and we get to have yeah. that good stress. But the, right. the downstairs brain being that you know that uh, almost um, the the response that's built into our DNA. Right. It's not the, the learning response. It's the immediate reaction. Like, this is what I do, you know, response. So, exactly. um, yeah. And for students who, uh, you know, are, are experiencing prolonged stress, prolonged negative stress, um, it makes sense that that kind of gets used to being on all the time. Right. And so, you know, and I, I know we'll, we might talk a little bit about COVID later, but, you know, we're going to have a number of students who are starting to come back into our classrooms that we have to be prepared. I mean, we have all, and I, we were talking earlier, we've been all through this mass trauma. And so how that has affected our brains and our bodies is go, it's going to impact the learning. And so yeah. I think we all have to be prepared for that as educators. And so it's a whole nother layer of uh, worry is. for us. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. let's, let's transition then into um, this idea of trauma and yeah. creating, boy, I just clicked my, I hit my stool in the, the whole uh, video. Um, but this idea of trauma, let's, let's start with just what's, what's your definition of trauma? Let's start there. Yeah. So there's so many different definitions. And I think that what's been happening over the years is that a lot of different um, fields have collaborated, which is great um, to define trauma. But to me, trauma is that heightened response, continued response, and it can be physical, emotional, um, to something that has been impactful to a person's life, right? So, um, you know, that's it in a nutshell. I think there's a lot more better definitions out there that have been provided. But I think that what people need to know is that, you know, trauma can be any of those adverse childhood experiences but aces aces um that was that was new information to me and i I was a fifth year teacher so let's um let's highlight that okay what what is an ace all right so adverse childhood experiences um there was a study that was done by um robert onda and vince filetti in the 90s and so basically they um one worked for cdc one worked for kaiser uh, Kaiser Permanente, and they said, let's combine efforts. And they were seeing a number of um, adults that had uh, chronic illnesses like COPD, heart disease, diabetes, um, and even some other things like smoking. Um, and they said, you know, when they started interviewing them, they realized that a number of them had had these, what they identified as adverse childhood experiences in their lifetime, um, in their childhood prior to age 18. So then what they did is they sent out these surveys and they sent them out to, I think it was something like a hundred thousand, no, 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 11,000 individuals. And so um, basically the adverse child experiences are, let's see if I can get them all um, at the time they were, it was. I'll pull uh, them up too, just in case you miss. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it, it was um, abuse. So it was child abuse, uh, sexual abuse. Um, there was also neglect. Um, there was also, um, incarcerated relative, uh, witnessing domestic violence or witnessing violence in the home. Um, I said abuse, neglect, sexual abuse, physical abuse. Then the, yeah. The household dysfunction. You got mental household illness, incarceration or in, incarcerated, uh, mother treated violently. Yeah. So that's, that's also physical abuse, but, uh, yeah. substance and divorce. Yep. There you go. Yeah. And so. But since then, um, I think a number of people have looked at those ACEs and there's still research being done. I was actually looking this up last week, trying to see where we are in terms of that. Um, They've added also um, uh, things like racism, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, systemic racism to that list. They've added um, uh, violence in neighborhoods, right? Mm -hmm. Because that wasn't really in there. Um, I think they've also, um, homelessness, I think might Mm. be included now. Um, so they've started looking at other adverse childhood experiences. So basically, you know, trauma can be anything that results from those adverse childhood experiences or adverse experiences. I would even take out childhood now and say any of those adverse experiences. And then any of the others that I just named, um, could also be considered, uh, those as well. And so, you know, a lot of times there's also two stresses I didn't talk about acute stress and chronic stress. Mm. 
Hmm. So I talked about chronic, but acute stress is something that can be from a um, shorter amount of time, short amount of time, acute, fast, right? Yeah. So some examples of that. And I, I give this example in my talk is drowning. So my, my wow. husband, when he was very young, he was three um, and he fell in. And so as a result of that, he doesn't swim. And I've known him since we were 18. And I have said over the years, I'll, I'll teach you how to swim. I just teach swimming. I can teach you how to swim. And he's like, the thought of going underwater for me is really like the world's closing in. Sure. And so as a result of that acute stress experience, I would say, and I'm not, I'm not, I, I should have said this in the beginning. I am not a counselor. I'm not a clinician, but <laughs> I would think, and I would love to talk to somebody that could diagnose it, <laughs> yeah. uh, that because of the acute stress, he has now suffered this trauma, right? So you could have something that seems minimal too, but yet has that effect, has that, that effect on sure. that, that being that um, it, it, elicit, it elicits some type of emotion whether it's physical, emotional. And so I, I think that's, you know, I know it's a long with the definition of trauma, but I think that there's so many layers to it yeah. um, that we have to consider that. Yeah. Uh, and I think the, the one thing um, when, when you first presented those, the ACEs, you know, the, the thing that shocked me was, wow, some of those are, seem so easy yeah. for so many students to yeah. experience without teachers ever knowing about it. Yeah. Um, and that, I mean, especially uh, what was the, the, there was a number that if, if they experience, was it four, four or more, like yeah. the, so, and I was just going to say percentage of, yeah, go ahead. Four or more. So exactly. So four or more, what they found on the Infiletti is that if you had four or more, that's when your increase shot way up of later um, health elements. So it, it's really, you know, many of us, and, and that's just it. The shame, there is no shame in, we're, we all have ACEs. So like yeah, understanding yeah. that and understanding our brain, it, it helps us to understand what's happening to our brain. It helps us to understand what's happening to our, our emotions and our feelings. It, it's really just understanding, oh, wow. And, and many times there's been a lot of documentaries now. People in the documentary say, once I knew about it, I felt so much better because then I understood that I wasn't suffering alone and that I can survive this. Like I, there are strategies I can implement. And so I just think being educated about ACEs is really super important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that, like I said, that was, that was one of the, the main things uh, that I, I took away and I was like, wow, yeah. this, this is so um, it's just so prevalent, right? Yeah. When you, when you think of, uh, you know, uh, just say how many of your students have experienced trauma you go, oh, yeah. one, maybe two. Like I can think of maybe two or three, but you look at this list and you go, well, yeah. to, a certain, to a certain extent, everybody has experienced some level of trauma, right? And you, it's it's up to the individual, you know, some of the skills that they've developed in terms of resilience and return in, in terms of grit, yeah. how, how those skills have already been developed with them will also affect how they react to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and I think that hopefully is a, is a nice transition, a nice segue um, to, um, you know, this idea of resilience and this idea of grit um, and how, how we can help develop those skills in our students to help them cope with and, and yeah. respond to traumatic events like this. So um, let, let's dive into that. Um, yeah. So interestingly, one of the things I've been telling lots of folks now too is that many of our students who have a lot of adverse childhood experiences or a lot of ACEs or a lot of trauma, um, they're already gritty. Oh. So they already have the grit and the resilience. And I think getting them to understand that and us as educators understanding that too, and that building that relationship with them is, is really important. Um, and the relationship building, I would say, in in the literature is the most important. They have found that that re relationship between an educator and a, and a child or a student is what is really going to support that student when they're going through those, those um, traumatic issues. So, yeah. you know, when we talk about um, grit and resilience, a lot of them are already doing that. And so we just have to explain to them, you're already doing, you're already gritty, you're already like have resilience. Um, but let's talk about 
how we can build that grit and resilience into the classroom and into your assignments. Cause that's usually where it happens, right? Sure. The, so, the skill doesn't quite transition, right? Yeah. That makes a lot exactly. of sense. Yeah. And so, you know, um, you, you know, you have this project, you know, let's talk about some goals here. Like let's look at a timeline and, and determine when some due dates are going to be for this large project, or, you know, you have this full page, um, you know, because they're having a hard time with their um, fight, flight, or freeze and their nervous system. All right, let's cut the paper in half and do, you know, eight problems instead of 16. And then let me know when you're done those, you know, and then they're like, oh, that's not that many now. Right. right. So they're not overwhelmed. Um, so a lot of the strategies actually that build grit and resilience um, that also build the reading and writing expressive and receptive language capacities are also strategies that I've used in special education practice. Um, and again, it, it all goes back to how the brain's affected. And so the strategies we use are the same, you know, we're using them because of supporting the brain, the parts of the brain that need that support are also the same parts of the brain that need support with trauma. Um, and mm -hmm. so that's why a lot of that has been easily, um, you know, pulled over from the right. skill sets crossover. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Yeah. And I have to, uh, I have to give my, uh, my, myself as in like my music world yes. uh, props, because when you look at, um, you know, you can, you can say this about any music teachers that when you're teaching practice skills, right. You teach, okay, here's a, here's a piece of music. That's, you know, let's, let's go short. Like for elementary, for me, most of them are 16, 16 beats. Yes. Really not a whole lot in terms no. of music, right. That's going to last all, I played all the of flute. like I played, seconds. I played the flute and piccolo. So I tend to get that. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, you, you teach, okay, you're going to start with learning just the first four beats, right? Yeah. And once you're good with that, then you learn the next four and right. then put them together and then learn the next four and then put it all together. And then like, so that's, those skills are already being developed. So I just got to give myself and my that's music. Exactly uh, right. and that's, exactly, that's exactly. And you should, that's exactly how I learned music. That's how I was taught it. Like, we're going to work on this, you know, we're not mm -hmm. going to look at the whole sheet music. We'll get to the whole sheet, you know, you know, maybe next month. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> this is back in elementary school. I'm learning, right? It took you it took you months and months to learn a, a one piece of sheet music. But yeah, that's exactly right. Like it's taking everything and breaking it into chunks. Yeah. Um, but I, I like uh how you said just highlighting that, you know, the students already have you already have these skills. Yes. Right. You're already resilient. You're already gritty yeah. in other areas. So yeah. how do we transition it I mean, to the classroom? You have some students who are coming to school. I remember I had a student. And, uh, and, and I thought of him often too, when I give these talks, because there's a poem that I ain't got a pencil and it's about how this kid is getting his sibling up for school and getting himself ready for school and getting them on the bus, making sure they had clean clothes, making sure they, you know, got to school in time to get breakfast because they were getting breakfast at school. And then basically he gets to class and he doesn't have a pencil and the teacher, and he's basically saying to the teacher, and you're going to talk to me about not having, a, like, I ain't got a pencil. Like I just did all this stuff. Like I, you know, and so, so like the teacher was scolding him for not having a pencil. Is that what you yeah, mean? Yeah. Gotcha. And he was able gotcha. to get himself up without an alarm clock, get himself dressed yeah. and found dirty clothes and found clean clothes and got his sister up, got her to school. <laughs> yeah. Like he did all these things. And so you've already, you know, like that kid has already had a full day of school <laughs> before <laughs> yeah. he even got to school. And so, uh, you know, when I used to teach, that was one thing I never got upset about not having a pencil. I'm like, here they are. If I have to spend my last time buying pencils every week, then I will, mm -hmm. because that it's just for me was not the hill to die on as we call right, it as yeah. again, quotations and nobody can yeah. see. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it's so looking at the kid and their experiences and how they they're resilient and how they're gritty and, and explaining that to them, it, it makes a world of difference because then they realize how much you respect them and the relationship that you have with them will be more of a positive relationship. And then you can talk about some of the other skills that they need to your point to transfer over. Right. Yeah. And I love how, uh, you, that's a theme that's been coming back over and over again. And I would love to hear more research and, and more stuff about it. Is that the, the need for that relationship with your students yes. and the importance of that relationship, yes. right? Um, I've mentioned this a few times, but, uh, Dr. David Kirkland out of NYU, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of him. Yes. Um, he, yeah, he, he was on the podcast episode 10, I think it was. Okay. 10. Um, and he talked about a, a study that they did where, 
uh, they had two different schools and one school took, I think it was six weeks at the beginning of the year before they right. even dove into curriculum. And they worked solely on creating emotional connections between students and students and between students and teachers. Yes. And the class that did that for six weeks without ever touching the curriculum went further in the curriculum by the end of the year because they had spent the time to develop those That's relationships. Right. Those and relationships. That is just mind boggling to me. You know, in, in my, again, you know, logic, logically you say, okay, if you want to do more, start yeah, earlier. That's right. Right. But it's, it's the tortoise and the hare. You got to start slow to go yeah. further. Well, and as, as you're talking, I'm thinking, and, and I'm looking in some of the research um, that I did for my book and it's Siegel and Bryson from earlier. I knew that the whole brain child, um, okay. but I'm looking here and, you know, one of the things I did in my book is, um, and I, I'm very, I'm very lucky because at Cabrini, I work very closely with a social, uh, one of two of my good friends are social, the social work department. Okay. And so, um, as educators, you know, it's interesting how in, in our discrete fields we're trained differently. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I'm able to talk about how to implement strategies and they talk about emotional type strategies, which is really helpful. But I talked a lot about um, the attachment theory in my book um, and Bowlby and the attachment theory and that whole idea of how important attachment theory is to raising children. And so when, you know, they did this whole research, you know, what does it look like when um, a child is attaching with their, with their caregiver um, in those first days of life, the first weeks of life, the first years mm -hmm. of life. And so I equated that very similarly to our relationship building with our students. Mm -hmm. So to your point, how important that attachment piece is to build that relationship. Um, and so that's, that's a piece that's really, um, th that hasn't been explored a lot. I don't think yeah. and it's very unique in my book is that I, I thought, let me take a look at re relationship. And um, I looked at different attachment styles and what they are um, as a result of, of, of Bowlby's work and Mary Answorth. She did a lot in, in regard to it's called a stranger situation. So when we have students, uh, children, and you know, how do they react when a stranger picks them up versus mm. it's their mother and so it's it's very interesting to me yeah. how that can connect very closely with the relationship of teachers. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's uh you know just that again you know this I don't think the the relationship building was stressed enough in my undergraduate degree. Yeah. You know I, I think they they did a great job of teaching me the science of you know the psychology of education and yeah. some. Uh, a whole bunch of activities to do, you know, and, and some of the um, classroom management strategies, but I wish there was a class specifically for developing yeah. relationships with your students. Yeah. I, I think agree. that might be one of the most successful classes. If it's done correctly, it might be the, the yeah. best class you could ever take uh, for, for you uh, as a teacher. So, and to your, uh, you know, we were talking about mindfulness earlier and how important that is that mindfulness piece is really helpful, not just for teacher self-care, but teaching that self-care, for the students, like teaching them mindfulness strategies and how to, how to do, how to use those strategies in their life so that they can continue to be resilient. Um, yeah. We talked a lot with, we had a group of students that came to Cabrini and we were teaching them all different strategies. One of the things we taught them was hot chocolate breathing. So it's <laughs> kind of like you pretend you're holding hot chocolate and then you smell it and it smells so good. And so that's the inhaling. And then you want to take a sip because it smells so good, but you have to blow on it. So letting out exactly letting out the breath. And so it's teaching them that, that breathing, um, because again, that breathing, and I don't know as much about it as I would like, but it really does help build that oxygen to the brain. It helps to calm your, your, your nervous system. And so that, that breathing helps to bring you back into a, um, even, a, a even state, plain. Yeah. A state of, yeah. Of evenness, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, obviously uh, there's a lot of transitions, you know, a lot of stuff uh, crosses over from not transition. No, a lot of stuff crosses over between different, um, oh, yeah. you know, subjects, I guess, you know. Yes. Um, so, but yeah, the, I think, uh, you know, mindfulness is obviously getting more steam uh, and uh, this idea of, of building the relationships, those two are, are obviously very important. But uh, going back to just this concept of uh, resilience and grit, uh, I know yeah. I remember one of the things that you said was 
simply by changing our language is a huge step in the direction of helping to develop and helping to transition those skills to the yes. classwork. So yes. uh, let's let's wrap up with that. Um, why don't you just talk about you know some of the language adjustments that we can make as teachers yes. that will help to develop these skills. So one of the things I love is, you know, um, when I've done all this research and I can't remember who to give the credit to, um, but they said, and you know, instead of saying like, what's wrong with you? Like, you know, thinking, changing our own mindset, like what happened to you, right? Mm -hmm. So instead of seeing this behavior, right? And I just taught this with my students last week, but behaviors are telling us something and we have to pay attention to them, right? So behaviors are telling us when we see our students' behaviors, whether they're externalizing or internalizing, they're telling us something and we have to pay attention to it. And so it's really important for us to pay attention to those behaviors and not be punitive, but instead try to get to the bottom of the behavior and find out what's going on, right? And so I I don't want to toot my own horn, but that's one of the things I love doing. <laughs> Please do. High- that's why you're on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I loved doing that in high school special ed. And people would say to me, well, you know, the student just said these, you know, very charming words to you, uh, which were not very charming at all. They were, you know, expletives. And you're like, so calm, like, you're just, you know, I don't understand. Like, how can you like, I'm like, that that wasn't about me. Like, they're pissed at that kid over there. It's not me, you know, and so or I, I heard them telling that they're pissed off at their mom this morning. That's about their mom. It's not about me. Like, mm-hmm. so you learn with the behavior. Of course, we would then have to have a conversation about like, let's talk about other ways to treat right. people when you're upset. And so it's a learning opportunity. Um, and so in terms of, you know, when we talk about um, our language, right? So it's it's looking at that that growth mindset too. Mm-hmm. That's another Carol Dweck's I research, love, yeah. Yeah, I love Dweck and, and her research on growth mindset, you know, and, and she talks about the power of yet, right? So when students yes. say, well, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that yet, right? Because right. you're going to learn how to do it. You know, I, and this is going to sound corny, but, you know, my 70 year old mother, so when everyone's getting their, these phones and, and these phones, I, I'm never, I, I could never, <laughs> Colleen, I don't know how you do that. I could never. So fast forward a few years now, she has a phone and she's done quite, quite well with it. And she said to me the other day, well, you know, I'm getting a new phone. And I said, oh, and uh, we always tease because my dad has Apple. Uh, he has an uh, iPhone. And are, she you, are you an also uh, Apple cult person? Yeah, yeah I kind of. I'll admit it. And so she says to me, she says, um, I, I'm getting a new phone. I said, oh, well, what are you going to get? Are you going to get a Samsung? Are you going to get like, what are you going to get this time? She goes, I'm getting an iPhone. And I said, you are. And she said, yes. And I said, well, what happened? All that stuff about you can't learn, you know? And she said, <laughs> I learned. I said, yes, you did. You're never too old to learn, mom. You know, because she would say things, I'm too old, you know. Yeah, and yeah, she, yeah. And I, but I, I literally had tears in my eyes thinking to myself, <laughs> you know, look at her. She's 70 years old. And she's like, I learned. I did it. And she's so proud of herself. And she should be. Yeah. And it's the same thing with our students. Like, it's okay if you don't know how to do this or it's okay if you don't think you're very good at it, but that's what learning's all about. And, um, you know, and telling students about what you went through and how, where you got to where you are, yeah, yeah. because they look at you, even students today, they look at me and yeah, I can get my nails done now because I can afford it and I can buy some nice clothes every once in a while. And, and they look at me and I, I'm like, uh, I was almost fired from my third year review at Cabrini University because just because it didn't go well. And so I learned a lot of things since then. And so, and telling them that and telling them, you know, my first education class, I earned a C and I was (laughs) horrified and I never earned a C again after that. Right. And so just talking about those struggles that you have had um, and also recognizing though, that not everyone has the same struggles. And so tell me about your struggles and I'll tell you about mine. Right. And so there you go. We all have our lived experiences. And and I think that's really important. When you share things like that with students, you know, when I started working at Pottsgrove, um, Pottsgrove, when I told the students I was from Norristown, they were like, whoa, Norristown. And Norristown around here has a reputation for being a tough school um, because I think we're diverse, which is wrong. And they have this these image, image images of us walking around like, you know, and, and 
I, I don't know exactly what the image is, but back in the day, sure. oh, there was a fight every day at Norristown. Like there was these images that just were not true. Sure. So when I started teaching at Pottsgrove, they were like, whoa, Norristown. Well, I'll be honest. I use that. I'm like, yeah, I did. I went to Norristown. <laughs> I could tell you some stories, you know, <laughs> I didn't have that many stories to tell. I really, I mean, <laughs> but you know, I'm sure I had a couple, but Sure. But anyway, but that that kind of earned respect because they thought like I came from this place of <laughs> horribleness and it really wasn't. And then, of course, once I got to know them and I'm like, you know, that stuff's really not true. Um, and we would talk about, you know, what it's like to also, you know, um, have these ideas that are just continued. Um, and so we talked about that, too. And that's important, I think, for resilience and mindset. Right. You want to come into it. Um, having a clear mind. And if you're, you have these preconceived notions of, of somebody or something, you're not going to be your best self either. Mm. And so we would talk about that too. And what that meant. Um, so I think yeah. that, you know, just making those connections is really important. And, um, and, and I think that growth mindset piece is, is the strategies that you could teach with growth mindset and that goal setting that's resilience building, um, you know, when I think about other strategies that can be used um, in reading and writing classroom or any classroom, really, when we think about using graphic organizers, graphic organizers could be used in music because when you think about music, it is a graphic organizer, <laughs> right? Um, it, it is, in fact, organized graphically. So talking about graphic organizers and how you can use them in a classroom, that really helps with the brain and learning. So there's just so many strategies to build resiliency, growth mindset, um, you know, grit, determination and, yeah. and help heal trauma. I, I think that that it's all about healing that trauma. Yeah. And just to wrap up, I, I do like what you said about, you know, sharing your own experiences, because I think that brings some reality to the classroom. You know, I think a lot of times, you know, the, the way that our curriculum is uh, built is, is built heavily in hypothetical, like, well, you're yeah. going to need, you're going to need to learn this to learn the next thing. Yeah. And then you'll need to learn the next thing in order to learn the next thing. But like making things real for the kids yeah. um, is, is a great step forward in that direction too. Yeah. So I agree. Um, yeah. Wow. I, I, we've covered a lot in this, in this episode. I, I love everything that we covered. Is there anything that we didn't get to touch on that uh, you think would be uh, worthy of sharing right now? I just think um, self-care is so important. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that self-care piece is super important. And I feel like it's so cliche at this point, but what especially I this wish, year, <laughs> especially this year, what I wish would happen. And I know it can't be done right now because we are in the middle of a pandemic, but yeah. I wish that, and I saw something today and I have to go back and read it. I would love to know, are there any schools out there doing self-care for their staff and faculty correctly? Like, what does that look like? Um, because, yeah, I, you know, take a bath, read a book, you know, that's what they're all great things to say. But, you know, like you and I were before this, we were talking about like, oh, yeah, just finished up dinner. And, you know, <laughs> no, and I'm, I'm, like, sure, you know, my, my, I'm glad yeah. you can't like there's no microphone on my stomach right now. It's going crazy. Yeah. <laughs> But we were like, you know, oh, yeah. And, I, you know, we're we're always just going. And um, so I've been trying this year, especially to just say, like, I would work until 10 o'clock at night. I'm one of those people that I would do it. Um, and I'm, I'm trying not to. I mean, it's hard. There it are is, some like yeah. I'm still doing it, but I'm trying not to do it as much. I think so that this is a tangent. But have you ever heard of procrastinating on purpose? No. So this is a theory that uh, I was introduced to about uh Oh, man, two or three months ago. And yeah. it, it's along the idea you, you estimate how long something's going to take and you double it. And then you only give yourself that amount of time, the okay. last possible amount of time before you have to. So like if it's due Monday night and you say it should take me about two hours, give yourself four hours Monday to do it and don't do it until then, because then you're crunch time. Right. And it forces you. So something there's a theory too, where like the amount of like a, a task will take up the allotted time. Yes. Right. So like, folding laundry takes 15 minutes. Right. But yeah. if I give myself all day to fold laundry, it's going to take all day to fold laundry. It's interesting because my yeah. husband used to make fun of me. My to-do list were literally like, get up 6am, 615. <laughs> like he would make fun of me because I would be so time specific. But I think yeah. part of what I, I did that because I'm like, I'm not spending any more yeah. time than that yeah. amount of time on things. And I, so I guess I kind of already did that in a way. And in fact, I'm working on a grant and right now, and I'm like, 
I'm doing something similar. I'm like, I, I'll give myself an hour, but I'm not, I could probably do five hours on this, but I'm not. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm just so not. anybody anybody who's much better at keeping time. Uh, that's a huge tangent. Anyway, um, yeah, some, it's important too. <laughs> but anyway, but yeah. um, this this has been fantastic. Um, I think let's move over then to our exit ticket questions to wrap okay. up. So these are the same four questions that I ask every guest who comes on the show. Yes. And the first one is, what book recommendation do you have for teachers to go read? Yes. So I have so many. Um, of <laughs> first of all, my book would be great. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that would be a great book. Um, I also love, um, and I think I have it behind. Yeah. The deepest well by Nadine Burke Harris. And she talks all one. about aces in that book. So that mm -hmm. is like one of my go-to books that, um, with students that if they're asking me, like, I want more on aces and I, I like how she, um, goes over everything in the book and describes the brain. Like it's very, it's, um, it's, it's not so detailed that it's not like, um, doctoral speak, you know, okay. yeah. <laughs> of describing it. Um, another one of my favorites, I'm trying to think, cause I have a couple here. Um, oh, uh, building resilience in children and teens is by Ken Ginsburg. He was actually at, um, we had him uh, at Cabrini, through Zoom um, because of COVID, but um, he does some great work with resiliency with children and teens. And he's actually worked with children and teens. He's a CHOP doctor. He's worked at Penn, okay. um, very, very well known in that area. So I would highly recommend those two at the top of my list. And then if you want any like fun readings, um, yes, please. <laughs> I'm like, those are always good to have. I know. I, I'm like one. So I just bought, um, oh, where's the one? This one, well, I said fun. I don't know. Maybe it's not because now I'm I'm realizing <laughs> it's about the brain, but it's called The Angel and the Assassin, The Tiny Brain Cell That Changed the Course of Medicine. And it's really, it's by Donna Jackson uh, Nakasawa. And it really talks about, she also wrote the book Childhood Disrupted, but it's a lot about how they're looking at the brain and how the brain reacts in regard to health issues. And she's talking about a little bit about trauma in here. So- mm -hmm. That's fascinating too. I think you and I probably have uh, different definitions of fun reading than a lot. Oh, of I know. That sounds yeah. that sounds great to me. Yeah, but I'm that thinking, wasn't. Yeah. yeah, that wasn't like a, a Lisa Catalini book or you know a Helen Nildebrand. I know, I know. Sorry. <laughs> no, but I mean, I was reading a book uh, for fun on dopamine, and dopamine is fascinating too. Yeah, great stuff. Anyway, um, <laughs> let's keep it going. Uh, question number two then is: What resources would you suggest teachers go check yeah. out? Uh, go look up. Yeah. So um, as part of my job at Cabrini, I'm also the director of the Barbara and John Jordan Center for Children of Trauma and Domestic Violence Education. And so um, if you go to cabrini.edu backslash Jordan Center, um, we have a ton of resources actually there. Um, and we actually have like a COVID-19 like uh, resources list um, with all kinds of other resources for parents, teachers, and yeah. students. Um, another, um, website, and this is for young families though. Um, but Sesame street is doing this whole area regarding trauma in communities. And so mm. Sesame street, if you Google like Sesame street trauma in communities, they have a whole, all kinds of resources there, um, wow. as well. So those are two that I would highly recommend. Awesome. Thanks. Uh, question three is what piece of advice would you like to give teachers, especially those who are just starting out their careers? Um, especially those starting or have grace uh, for yourself. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, because it's not easy work. I think some, some, sometimes we think it's easy. And I think a lot of times we've had really good teachers that have made it look easy. Mm. And so, um, you know, having that grace for yourself staying connected with your mentors, finding mentors. Um, I think that's really important. Again, I built my own team. I call it like I had my go-to people when I was at, you know, in K-12 and those are the people that I went to for everything. Um, and so I think it's really important to build those relationships too, so that they can support you. Yeah. Awesome. I think for at the elementary level, like for me, I've got 
the gym teacher, the, excuse me, the phys ed teacher, he would be mad at me, uh, phys ed teacher, librarian, and the art teacher. We kind of all, we we're our yeah. own little powwow. And obviously the grade levels, like there's three fifth grade teachers, three fourth grade teachers. So like everybody kind of has um, their niche, but you know, at, at, at the middle school, high school, you kind of are maybe a little more of an island than you are yeah. in elementary. So, I mean, know, and, and I do to have, yeah. And I did have my departmental people for sure too, but I also like reached out to, you know, especially like at the time I needed like the nurse. Cause I had a student who was pregnant another student who was suicidal. Right. So yeah, but it, it definitely just find your people, whoever yeah. those people may be. Find yeah. Your people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the last question is, if anybody wants to connect with you, uh, where would be the best place to send them? Probably my email. Um, it could be my name, Colleen Lelly at yahoo.com. So C-O-L-L-E-E-N-L-E-L-L-I at Yahoo. Or um, you can connect with me at Cabrini, C-L-724 um, at Cabrini, C-A-B-R-I-N-I dot E-D-U. There you go. And we will link both of those in the show notes as well. And you're on Twitter every once in a while. What's your I am, handle on Twitter? <laughs> I so you know at Dr. Lily, I think it is. Okay. Um, <laughs> Whatever it is, we'll link well, it. <laughs> I had to, so here's yeah, and here's what happened. So I was on sabbatical um, uh, in 2019, fall of 2019, and so I started really big. Yeah, it's at Dr. Lelly. Um, I started really big in in social media. I mean, I'd always did Facebook because I have two kids, so I did that stuff. But then I started realizing all of the resources that were out there. There's so, a like, lot of great stuff on Twitter. Yeah. There's like a whole like education Twitter universe. Yes. Yeah. And so I've been loving that, especially for this field of trauma, like staying connected. Um, it's been wonderful, um, yeah. especially all the conferences I go to and then connecting with people from all over the place has been really, really great. It's been amazing. Yeah, that's yeah, absolutely. Uh, Twitter has been fantastic for me as well in that in that same uh, yeah. same vein. So, yeah, Dr. Colleen Lely, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so glad we got around to having this conversation. I think there was a lot of great uh, information in there. I think uh, a lot of my listeners will get a lot of value out of it. So, thank you so much. No, thank you. I uh, um anytime. Thank you so much. And there you have it. Dr. Colleen Lely, a uh, big thank you to her, obviously, for joining me on this episode. Uh, like I said, you know, she was one of the first people that I reached out to, and I'm so glad uh, she was able to circle back and and do episode 33 for you here because um, I just felt like that episode was absolutely packed with a bunch of great information that uh, you can really reflect on today and, and start to implement tomorrow. Um, you know, whether it's that concept of what's good stress, what's bad stress, right? Because we need stress. Um, you know, if you, if you think about that growth mindset, you need that, that stress to our muscles, right? When you're lifting weights, you grow your muscle based on, you know, stressing it a bit and then it heals and it gets bigger. And the same thing happens with our brains. The more we challenge ourselves and we, we have that good stress, the better it is that toxic stress and that, uh, that continuous stress that can be, uh, really detrimental to our students. So, um, yeah, I mean, even going back through and looking at those ACEs, right, those adverse childhood experiences, um, you have probably a lot more students in your class than you think who are experiencing trauma at home um, or or in their neighborhood or something in one way or another. Because, you know, like Dr. Lili said, like it's not just uh, at home anymore. They're also adding these different elements and different layers to it uh, constantly. So, um Check those out if you haven't ever heard of them before. Uh, those adverse childhood experiences that was that was eye opening for me. Um, but I can't help but highlighting again the importance of the relationships with your students. Right, this this theme just keeps coming back over and over again, and I'm glad something does. Right, I'm glad the more people I talk to, the more people who are doing research, the more they say the importance of that relationship with you and your students is crucial. So any chance you can take to create those relationships and and foster those relationships, the better off you're going to um, leave your students and yourself at the end of the day too, because you know you'll enjoy your classroom that much more. Um, so take the time to build those relationships. So, so important, uh, as Dr. Colleen Lely said in this episode as well. So, uh, wow. Yeah. Just a great episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can find everything that we talked about on today's episode on our show notes page. You can find those at jabadoo.com slash show 33. I also encourage you to sign up for our email newsletter just to stay up to date on all our episodes. So you, you know that a new one is being released. 
Uh, if you want to support the show, go check out any of the books and the affiliate links there, or go purchase yourself a Jabadoo Original Teacher Tea. <laughs> and last but not least, connect with us on social media, facebook.com slash Jabadoo, Twitter at Jabadoo, or Instagram at Jabadoo. Again, everything is linked on our show notes page. Last time, jabadoo.com slash show 33. And I believe that is it. So until next time, go teach. Thank you so much for listening to the Jabadoo Education Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more evidence-based strategies for improving your educational career, go ahead and click that subscribe button so you can get the next episode as soon as it is released. If you think this information was beneficial and you think more teachers should hear it, the greatest compliment you can give us is to share this episode with a colleague, either through a text message, email, or social media. And last but not least, if you think more teachers need to hear more of what we are talking about, please go leave us a five-star rating and review on your platform of choice, and that will simply let the algorithm know that you are finding value in this content, and it will help boost our show to the top of the list when people search for education shows. Thank you, I appreciate you, and I will see you on the next episode of the Jabadoo Education Podcast.